from Tokyo, Japan, and Sterling in the United Kingdom. This is Down to Business English with your hosts, Skip Montreux and Des Morgan. Mr. Des Morgan. Great to be back talking with you. And good to be talking with you too, Skip. If I am not mistaken, you have a big announcement to make. I do indeed. Well, we are all ears. What is this big news? The big news is, and a drum roll please, I am no longer your UK-based roving reporter. What? Moving forward, I will be D2B's China-based reporter. You're telling me you have relocated from Scotland to China? That's right. Well, at least for the next two years. That is indeed a very big announcement. <laughs> It is. As of this month, I'm on assignment in southern China. Well, by all means, do tell us all about your new post, Des. I will be working for a Scottish university that has a partnership with a Chinese university in the city of Changsha. So, you are back in the field of teaching English as a foreign language. I am, and I'm glad to be back. Students attending this university follow a four-year degree with some modules taught by teachers from the Scottish University and others taught by the instructors from the Chinese University. Sounds like a challenge, but one that I am sure that you are up to, Des. Where are you coming from today as we record this? Currently, I'm in a hotel in the northern city of Dalian, where I have to stay for a 10-day quarantine. Oh, yikes, a 10-day quarantine? It's quite surreal. I get a knock on my door at mealtimes, and when I open the door, food is there, but the hallway is completely deserted. Oh, that sounds very eerie. And I can't leave the room for any reason. What day number are you on now? I'm currently on day three of the 10 days. And you haven't spoken or seen anyone for three entire days? I have spoken to some people online, but that's all. I have started talking to myself a bit, to be honest. <laughs> well, you know what they say, Des. As long as you don't start arguing with yourself, you're probably okay. I won't tell you what the other Des Morgan's been saying about you. <laughs> I've told him to stop again and again, but he just won't. Very funny. Well, it seems to me that China still views COVID as a very real threat. I believe the city of Chengdu was locked down again a few weeks ago. That's correct. And getting into this country is an ordeal too. I was COVID tested twice before I flew from the UK and I'm being tested every other day while I'm in quarantine. But after the 10 days, you can then travel on to Changsha where you will be teaching. Is that right? That's correct. But... Before I can start working there, I'll have to go through another four days of quarantine. Wow. Well, I really hope you enjoy spending time with yourself. Luckily, there is no one I would rather hang out with than Mr. Des Morgan. <laughs> well, if we can move on from Des and his self-love, do you have a story for us today? I do. About China? As I've only just arrived here in China and have so far not stepped out of my quarantine hotel, 
I'm afraid I don't have anything just yet Chinese related. Understandable. But I do have a topic, and it's about the region I've just left, the UK. By any chance, would it be about the change of prime minister in the UK and the turmoil that followed? Ah,、oh, much though it pains me to discuss it, yes. That is our topic for today. Well, it may pain you, but I, for one, am very interested in hearing about this. In that case, let's do it. Let's get D to B down to business with Britain's new prime minister, the mini budget, and the aftermath that followed. The UK's previous prime minister was Boris Johnson, and he was ousted from office after just serving a little over three years. Is that correct, Des? That's right. So, how exactly did that come about? He didn't actually lose an election, did he? No, as a matter of fact, he didn't. In Britain, a political party can remove their own leader if they've lost confidence in him or her. To lead the country, and that is what happened to Boris. He lost a no-confidence vote. Actually, it wasn't an official non-confidence vote. He survived one of those back in June. But what did happen was all of his top ministers revolted and started resigning from his government. And what prompted them to do that? There were just too many scandals surrounding the man. The staff parties at 10 Downing Street at the end of last year, while the rest of the country was in lockdown. Now that was a major scandal. Without a doubt, if I were being locked down for weeks on end, while the government that was locking me down was at the same time having wild drinking parties, I would be furious. And many people were. But the last straw was ignoring sexual misconduct allegations against a senior staff member. When that information came to light, everyone started heading for the exits. Something like forty ministers resigned over the span of two days in early July. Boris couldn't continue and finally resigned on July seventh. Hmm. What happened next? Was Britain suddenly left without a leader? Uh, no. Johnson stayed on until his party. The Conservatives could choose a new leader, and who did they have to choose from? Two leadership candidates came to the fore: Liz Truss, Secretary of International Trade, and Rishi Sunak, the former Chancellor of the Exchequer. So they were both ministers in Johnson's cabinet. Tell me, which of those positions—the International Trade Minister or the Treasury Minister—who would be more senior? Sunak, by far. The Chancellor of the Exchequer is the equivalent to the Secretary of the Treasury in the United States. Also, he was second in line to the Prime Minister, as the Chancellor sets monetary policy. Okay, so you would think that within his own party, Rishi Sunak would have his finger on the pulse. That was what I thought, but Sunak's relationship with Boris Johnson brought about his demise. He was seen as being just too close to the disgraced prime minister to provide any new type of、um, leadership. I see. So Liz Truss became prime minister on the sixth of September, just two days before Queen Elizabeth's death. 
her final prime minister. Obviously, the UK's attention was on the ceremonies surrounding the Queen's funeral for most of September. That's very true. So Truss settled in for a few weeks and then on September 23rd, introduced her party's mini-budget, which announced huge tax cuts for the wealthy and a raised threshold on stamp duty. Stamp duty? Stamp duty is the tax you pay when you buy a property in the UK. Okay, so in other words, uh, she increased property taxes. Actually, no, the opposite. She raised the threshold, meaning that home buyers could spend more money on the purchase before the tax would kick in. Okay, well, that would be a good thing, wouldn't it? It is popular, but it also has its critics. With a higher threshold, home buyers have more money to put towards the purchase of a home, which is slowly but surely going to make the housing market more expensive again. I see. What else was in Truss's budget? Also in the mini-budget, Truss put in place much-welcomed policies to help people pay for the huge increases in energy costs that have skyrocketed over the last few months. For example? For example, a cap on energy bills for households and businesses, an energy relief scheme that cuts the energy bills businesses have to pay in half. An energy price guarantee that will save UK families about £1,000 a year. So in this budget, there is a huge tax cut for the wealthy, a decrease in property tax, and energy policies that see the government subsidizing costs for families and businesses. That's a good summary of the mini-budget, yes. Well, it doesn't sound all that mini. I have to say, Des, that budget seems a bit risky. What makes you say that? Well, presumably, the UK government, like most governments around the world, has incurred a lot of debt during the COVID pandemic. That's certainly true, and I can see where you're going with this. If the government has huge debts to pay, but is reducing tax revenue while at the same time spending money, you have to ask, where is all the money going to come from to repay those debts? Yes, that is exactly what I was wondering. Where is the money going to come from? And it's also what the stock and currency markets are asking. In reaction to this mini-budget, the pound fell sharply against other currencies and UK stocks also nosedived. Yes, the pound's devaluation made headlines around the world. It is almost on par with the US dollar now. It has recovered a little, but it's not good. What was Liz Truss thinking? Prime Minister Truss and the current Chancellor of the Exchequer, Kwasi Kwarteng, claimed that a reduction in taxes at the top of the income bracket will have trickle-down effects for everyone. Well, okay, and what do you mean by trickle-down effect? Trickle-down economics is based around the concept of lowering taxes for the wealthy so they consume and spend more, 
thus creating jobs and stimulating the economy. Ah, so their money trickles down from above to the less wealthy below, like water trickling down a hill. Ronald Reagan's tax cuts in the US in the 1980s have often been cited as an example of trickle-down economics. And I think most economists today would say Reagan's tax cuts in the 80s did not stimulate the economy. The big question now is, will this policy work in the UK? I'm sure there will be some trickle-down effects. However, for the average person in Britain, the idea of the rich paying less tax while they are struggling to make ends meet, was not at all popular. Sure enough, everyone will benefit from the price cap in energy, but the rich being better off, that was a hard pill to swallow. I can imagine that it didn't go down well. Furthermore, economic stimulus like tax cuts is inflationary in nature. Meaning they cause prices to increase. And all of this is happening while the Bank of England is raising interest rates to try to curb inflation. It just doesn't make sense. Oh, I'm sorry. What exactly doesn't make sense? Well, you have the government going one way and the Bank of England going the other way. Okay. Can you elaborate on that? Well, like the Federal Reserve in the United States, the Bank of England is a separate body to the UK government. So it doesn't always agree with the policies the government puts into place. I see. Yes, yes, yes. You are right about that. Governments tend to make decisions based on the political mood of their supporters, whereas financial bodies like the Fed and the Bank of England are making decisions based on financial conditions. Those two points of view are not always in sync. Well, in the end, under huge pressure from just about every corner, the trust government finally put its hands up and agreed to remove the advantageous tax reforms for those earning over £150,000 a year. And did that help call markets? Ah, uh, yes, a bit. The pound and the stock market levelled off, but, and this is a big but, abolishing that particular tax was only going to save around £2 billion compared to the overall cost of the package, which is estimated at around £45 billion. So 4.5% of the total cost. Not really enough to make a difference. Not much, no. I think it's fair to say that the government is caught between a rock and a hard place. Mm. As markets have been so unstable since the mini-budget, UK banks have steeply raised interest rates and made it much harder for people to borrow to buy a house. Hold on, didn't you say that the government increased this threshold before property taxes needed to be paid? What did you call it, a stamp duty? Yes, they did increase the threshold. And wasn't that intended to stimulate the housing market? Uh, yes, it was. But the rest of the mini-budget made banks less willing to lend. Ah, an unintended consequence. The reality is that for most people, the increase in the tax threshold didn't help, as the cost of borrowing has increased so much more. Aha, uh -huh. so anything they save and not having to pay tax, a homeowner will have to pay in higher rates on their home mortgage. Exactly. 
The government now has some very tough decisions to make. If Kwarteng and Truss stick with the tax cuts, along with the other support measures, then deep cuts will have to be made to public spending. And that will not sit well with the public. <laughs> not at all. Already, the approval rating for Prime Minister Truss has plunged. Her rating now is lower than Boris Johnson was just before he resigned. Most experts say it will be virtually impossible for her to win an election anytime soon. And remember, she was chosen by her party, not by the public. So she will have to face the voters at some point. Wow, she has really painted herself and her government into a corner. If she admits they are completely wrong with the budget or mini-budget, she will lose face. But if she continues on with the same policies, then hard decisions will need to be made and the Conservative government is destined to lose the next general election. That about sums it up. The government has painted itself between a rock and a hard place. <laughs> Can you say that? Can you mix idioms like that? Uh, you're right. It's not really correct English, but it does kind of sum up the situation in the UK. Des, you have created a new idiom. <laughs> so I did. Okay. And on that note, I think it is time for us to get D2V down to vocabulary. find down-to-business English useful in your English studies? Would you like to support the show? Consider becoming a D2B member today. Down-to-business English memberships come with three great benefits. First, D2B members receive bonus content in the form of exclusive members-only episodes. Second, Within moments of a new episode being released, an audio script is automatically emailed to you. There is no need for D2B members to go through the time-consuming process of visiting the website, logging into their account, locating an episode, and then downloading the audio script file. And third, D2B members have 100% access to the entire library of audio scripts all the way from Season 1, Episode 1, right up to the most recently released episode. Interested in becoming a member? Just visit the Down to Business English website and click on the membership link at the top of the page. Today in the Down to Vocabulary portion of the show, we are going to focus entirely on idioms. Good idea. The English language has so many idioms. And it is important for a second language learner to hear idioms in use as often as possible. It is the first step to internalizing them. Idioms are difficult. But if you use them correctly in the right situation, you can really impress people with your English level. So, here we go. The first idiom we are going to look at is to have your finger on the pulse. 
This means to know the latest information on what is happening in a particular industry or situation. And let me just add that this idiom really communicates the most recent changes or the developments in something. I would completely agree with that. Just imagine a doctor monitoring a patient's heart rate or pulse with his finger placed on the patient's neck or wrist. The doctor is getting the latest information about the patient's heart condition and can tell if there are any changes to it. That is not only a good image of the idiom, it is precisely where the expression comes from originally. So, in the story, when I said that I thought Rishi Sunak had his finger on the pulse of the political situation in the UK, I was commenting that I thought he knew what was happening in UK politics and was closely following the situation as it changed. A further example would be, much though I hate to admit it, Apple does seem to have its finger on the pulse when it comes to the devices and features that consumers really want. A very good example, Des. Hey, I thought you'd like that one. Our next idiom is a hard pill to swallow, which means when something is difficult to accept. I think the idiom really is pretty self-explanatory. Just picture a really big tablet that's difficult to swallow even if you've got a lot of water. Like a vitamin or a supplement tablet. Some of my supplement tablets are huge. Yes, like vitamin C tablet or something like that. Now, in the story, I said that tax cuts for the wealthy were a really hard pill to swallow for regular people who are struggling just to pay for food and energy. In other words, it was really difficult for regular people to accept the idea that rich people were getting richer while they couldn't pay their own bills. And as a Brit, I can vouch for that. It is a very difficult thing to accept. Can you give us another example, Skip, maybe in a business context? Post-pandemic, after spending two years working remotely from the comforts of their own homes, many employees found returning to their previous lifestyle of working all day, sitting at a desk in an office, a hard pill to swallow. You can sure say that again. Next up, we have the idiom to put your hands up. Putting your hands up is the internationally understood gesture of surrender. And that is exactly what it communicates when you use this expression idiomatically. But you need to be careful with this one. Putting your hands up, plural, means to surrender. Putting your hand up, singular, means to volunteer for something. Oh yes, that's exactly right. By changing the noun hand from singular to plural, hands, you completely change the meaning of the idiom. The way it was used in our story today, though, was the plural form, meaning to surrender. In the story, Des said the government put its hands up and agreed to remove the tax break for the rich. In other words, they surrendered to the opposition to their policy of reducing taxes on high earners. Can you give us another example, Des? In the UK at the moment, there are a lot of labour disputes going on. 
the postal service has been on strike train drivers garbage collectors to name but a few each negotiation and strike has come down to one thing and what would that be they all come down to which side will put their hands up first as all negotiations do. Well, at least labor negotiations. True. Moving on now, we have the idiom to be caught between a rock and a hard place, which means to be in a situation with two choices, neither of which is an easy choice. Two difficult choices. One choice is a rock, and the other choice is a hard place, a very uncomfortable position to be in. In the story, I said that the government was caught between a rock and a hard place, as whichever decision it makes will have serious consequences. It was, and is, in a very uncomfortable position. Manufacturers and service companies are caught between a rock and a hard place at the moment. On one hand, their costs have risen dramatically, but on the other hand, if they raise their prices too much, they will lose customers. Truly a difficult situation. I will round D2V off today with our final idiom, to paint yourself into a corner. When you paint yourself into a corner, you have put yourself into a difficult situation through decisions you have made. And now you have very few or no options available to you. Basically, you're trapped. Or you have very, very limited options available. Just think of someone painting a room. They've painted all the walls, they painted the ceiling, and then the floor, until finally they're stuck in a corner and they can't get out without walking on wet paint. A very sticky situation. Des, can you use this in a business context? Sure. In any business negotiation, it's really important to give yourself options and not paint yourself into a corner. Otherwise, you'll have to put your hands up in the end. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Would you like to support Down to Business English? Help D2B reach more people wanting to improve their business English skills. Be sure to subscribe to Down to Business English on Apple Podcasts or any place podcasts are found. While you are there, why don't you leave a rating and a review? Down to Business English. Business news to improve your business English. Breaking news, Daz. I just got a Reuters bulletin on my iPhone. Oh, and what was that? Prime Minister Truss has sacked her finance minister, Quartang, and has announced her government will not go ahead with the tax cut on corporations. And there you go. She really had to do something drastic like that to get out of the corner that she painted herself into. Has she appointed anyone new as the new Chancellor of the Exchequer? Someone by the name of Jeremy Hunt. Ah, Hunt. She's gone with someone with experience. 
He's held several cabinet positions in past Conservative governments. I suspect she's trying to calm the markets as much as possible. We shall see if this helps. Yes, we will. Well, thank you very much for this update on all the problems in the UK at the moment, Des. You're most welcome, Skip. And a big welcome back to this part of the world. It has certainly been a long time since you and I were in the same time zone. Well, almost the same time zone. That's right. It's only an hour difference now between here and Tokyo. No more late night recording sessions for you. (laughs) With you being eight hours behind me in Scotland and Samantha being three hours ahead of me in New Zealand, getting together to record has always been a challenge for me. Anyway, let us know how you get on in China. Uh, I most certainly will do that. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next time. Bye-bye. Have a comment or question about today's show? Don't be shy. Visit the D2B website or Facebook page and post any comments or questions there. Skip, Des or Samantha will be sure to leave a reply. Down to Business English. Business News. To improve your business English.